You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Riverside Church. My name is Ryan, and uh, we're going to have a a bit of audience participation today throughout this sermon. Uh, the uh, The first for you is that I'd like you to raise your hand if you've never seen me up here giving a sermon. I was up here a couple weeks ago at the end when we sent off Keith and Shelley, but if you've never seen me up here giving a sermon, raise your hand. Quite a few of you. That's kind of what I expected. Um, To see those hands is interesting to me because the last time I was up here giving a sermon was exactly four years and one week ago. Guess what the sermon series was that summer? Oh, wait. I thought it was going to be up there. Come on, Rachel. There it is. There you go. Summer in the Psalms. It's also interesting to look back on the summer of 2019 and ask how many of you foresaw the COVID-19 global pandemic coming a few months later. We went from a lot of hands to zilch. The world, this church, myself, and I'm guessing you too have been through a lot of change in the last four years. And the difficult thing about change is that We know it's inevitable. Cognitively, we know it's inevitable. Yet, when we don't want it, it can't be put off long enough. But when we want it, it can't come soon enough. You agree with me? All right, so let me illustrate this even more with some more audience participation. How many of you would say that at some point during the last four years, you found yourself saying or maybe even praying, how I long for things to be the way they used to be before this pandemic? Hands? I'm surprised some of you don't have your hand up, but I won't call you out for lying. The the pandemic brought change that you didn't want. Nobody wanted a pandemic. It was an unwelcome change. Yet, I'm willing to bet you're not opposed to change. So how many of us also thought or prayed, how long, God, how much longer will this continue? How long until this will pass? All right, we're doing pretty good here. At some point, we moved on from wanting the past and began to hope for a better future. We wanted change, and it couldn't happen quickly enough. So the pandemic was something that we all perceived to be bad, unfair, evil, or at least inconvenient. So we lamented the change it brought, and we welcomed any change to be rid of it. The same idea, I'm arguing, also applies for situations that we perceive as good. Think back to a time or times when we were coming out of a lockdown or maybe restrictions were eased, but you knew, you knew another wave was coming, right? How many of you felt or expressed jubilant but apprehensively, how long, God, how long can I enjoy this until? Okay, so we've got universal human experience here, or at least for our time. And so I repeat. The difficult thing about change is that we know it's inevitable, yet when we don't want it, it can't be put off long enough, and when we want it, it can't come soon enough. And just like waves of the pandemic, the pains of broken humanity have seemed to repeat with renewed intensity over the last few years. How long will we continue to hate and discriminate against people that don't look or think like I do? How long... Will we, until we will learn to love our neighbor as ourselves and live peaceably, as scriptures say. 
How long will the wars of the proud and rich leaders ravage innocent and poor people? How long until evil leaders and murderers will be brought to justice, God? How long must the abused, orphans, widows, and innocent cry out before you are moved to act, God? How long, O God, until you renew the earth? So I expect this is feeling a little weighty now. And I've only spoken of our global and cultural ills. I haven't even spoken about our individual struggles. I probably don't have time for that. Um, I started with the pandemic in this sermon because it was shared by all of us, obviously. Um, But each of us have individually experienced or are experiencing uh, many different challenges across this room. Um, And those challenges are often if not always, with life change. So let me tell you a little bit about my personal pandemic experience, which was quite unique. So first off, I'm one of those strange people that has never tested positive nor been symptomatic for COVID, despite everybody in my house having it. Right? Um, you know, in fact, it's even more than that. It's been more than three years since I've even experienced a cold-like symptom. And that would be, yes, wow, praise God, except one month before the COVID lockdown, I was seeing a weird floating spot in my right eye. My wife made me go to a local ophthalmologist who looked in my right eye, then he looked in my left eye, then he looked in my right eye again, and he was very quiet for what seemed like an awkwardly long time, until he finally said something like, something's very wrong in your right eye and I have no idea what it is. That was unwelcome news. He sent me to a retinologist at Stan's clinic. I don't know see Stan. Stan here today. Stan's not here. Um, and that retinologist, uh, thankfully, diagnosed uh, quickly um, that I was an unlucky one in a million people for whom the dormant chickenpox virus had erupted as shingles in my retina. My body was attacking the virus and killing my retina and destroying my vision. The treatment involved, uh, which you'll see me up there before one, the treatment involved multiple surgeries and procedures over the next couple years, including a grand total of 20 needles stuck into that eye. You remember when you were a kid? Hope to die. Yeah. It's not as bad. You know, choose the needle. Um, So that photo uh, on the screen was before a surgery during lockdown. Myself and the surgeon and the anesthesiologist and my wife are the only people in that hospital in Niles. Um, And my retinologist went through a large needle into the back of my eye and spent a couple of hours scraping dead tissue away from my retina after it had stabilized. The end result of all of this unwelcome change is that I'm mostly blind in that right eye. I've got tunnel vision and what I can see looks like the funhouse mirrors if I'm looking at you all right now. But I praise God that it was treated quickly enough that I still have my right eye and that I have a perfectly good uh, second eye that runs the show in my brain. So that was my experience or one experience. I know many of us are presently having a hard time with unwelcome and uncertain changes. I've heard it from many Riversiders just this week, including myself. Some of us are navigating unwelcome change of sickness. Others of us are struggling to make ends meet financially. Uh, We are navigating changing relationships at work and home. Uh, We have youth transitioning into adulthood, which is a big change for children and parents. We are facing and getting help for addictions. 
I could go on. In all of this uh, welcome and unwelcome change that's going on uh, within our community, I think we have lots of how long questions, don't we? So this morning we're going to look at Psalm 40, which was written by David. And as many of you already know, David experienced more dramatic life changes, good and bad, than probably any of us ever will. Uh, We'll go through this psalm verse by verse in a little bit, but I think the most important thing to notice uh, to start off here is the big picture view that this psalm ends at the same place that it begins. If you can get that up there, Rachel. If you'll recall uh, from the earlier reading that uh, Phil gave us, um, or maybe if you're looking at your Bible right now, verses 1 through 10 recount David's past experience of being rescued by God and being given a new song of praise to sing. This is welcome change, right? I've added emojis in our culture today to help us identify the emotions, like joy, celebration, hashtag blessed. Okay? But then, in verses 11 through 17, he describes a present situation from which he again needs to be rescued and for which he prays a prayer of lament. Dislike, surprise, anger, grief. So instead of the happy ending we'd like, there's actually in this psalm a happy beginning and then a cliffhanger ending. Will God rescue him again? How long to sing a new song? The arrangement of this psalm has perplexed scholars uh, to the point where uh, some have speculated it's two different psalms that just got stuck together. Um, But others, with whom I agree, observe that it's actually an accurate picture of the human condition that I've been describing. The cycle of change is inevitable. The constant is our need for God's help and rescue. Before we look at this psalm verse by verse, I think uh, it's critical also to appreciate the true scope of change in David's life. It's more than the Sunday school stories you've heard. Okay, So I'm going to retell David's life in two minutes. Are you ready? All right, go. David's background was such that he was the last person anyone would have ever expected to become king of Israel. Yet when he was a child, the greatest judge and prophet of Israel came unannounced to his small farm town and anointed him to be the future king of Israel. Being anointed to be king sounds like a really great change, except for no one else was told he was the future king. And the current king was a paranoid lunatic. David waited at least 15 years, 15 years to become king. In the meantime, he was recruited by the current king, ironically, for service for his harp-playing skills. Despite being small and better with a harp than a sword, David defeated a giant warrior named Goliath in a battle with Israel's number one enemy and then became a successful leader in Israel's army. Great change. This made him extremely popular with the people, but equally unpopular with the paranoid king who tried to kill him multiple times despite that David was married to his daughter and best friends with his son. It got so bad that David had to flee to the wilderness with a band of his loyal followers while the king tried to hunt him down and kill him with Israel's army. David got so desperate that he took refuge with Israel's number one enemy nation where he developed a deceptive scheme to provide for his men and their families through the historically shameful occupation of pillaging. The scheme backfired when the very village where David's family and men and men's families were living was itself pillaged. So now David's own men wanted to kill him. At a later time, 
the paranoid king finally died in a battle and David became king. As king, David's life continued to cycle through dramatic welcome and unwelcome change. He defeated all of Israel's armies. God then sent a prophet to him to tell him that he would build God's temple and that God would establish his everlasting kingdom through David. Life couldn't be better. However, David later committed adultery with the wife of his most trusted military advisor, and, they, and then he conspired to have him killed so he wouldn't find out and they could be married. God sent the same prophet back to David. He repented with great grieving and great consequence. The son born to the woman with whom he committed adultery would become the next king. However, David's sons from another wife had other ideas. One raped a sister who was killed by a brother who then led a coup against David that led to a civil war and David fleeing again to the wilderness. The coup leading son was then killed in battle and David mourns. There's still more I could go on, but you think you get the idea. I think we would be hard-pressed to find anyone who experienced more welcome and unwelcome change in their life, uh, including change that was out of his control and change that was from his own bad decisions. Psalm 40 doesn't give any clues as to which of these many possible events I've just gone through in his life that he might be thinking about when he wrote Psalm 40. Uh, instead, I think, uh, like many songs today, it's a picture of the pattern of his life. It's not meant to highlight a specific event. It's meant to show this is life that we experience together. It's our lives. Thankfully, though, for most of us, uh, our lives are a bit less dramatic than David's, right? So the goal of the rest of our time is going to be that we're going to try and learn what we can from how David dealt with all of this welcome and unwelcome change in his life. Despite his great sin, despite his own weaknesses, David was described by God as a man after God's own heart, so we can learn from him. Okay, you ready for the psalm? All right, a lot of buildup, but it was important. All right, let's start with verses 1 through 3. On the screen behind me, you can follow or on your, in your own Bible. Uh, I'm reading from the NLT if, if that confuses you with your Bible. Uh, David says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. So the psalm starts with David remembering a past experience, as I've already said, and being rescued by God. I've highlighted on the screen David's participation uh, in this relationship with God in orange and God's role in red. Um, and so David says he waited patiently on God, and while waiting, he cried out to God for help. Meanwhile, God turned to him and heard his cry for help. God not only heard him, but he lifted him up out of the yucky mess he was in and restored David to good standing to carry on with his life. The text doesn't explicitly say it, but David's role in verse 2 in God's rescue, it's clearly that he received it. Right, Jeff Walker? I told him to be ready. He was waiting till now. Now you can relax. God also gave David a new song of praise to sing about what God had done. So let's simplify this even more simply with an outline. David cried out to God, wait patiently, 
receive the help God offered, and ultimately praise God. God heard David's cry, rescued and restored David, and gave him a new song to sing about it. The final outcome of all of this is in verse 3. Others are able to see what God has done and put their trust in the Lord. Note that the others here is not just those who lived with David, but us, because we know the story. We can put our faith in God because of what we know happened with David. Now, if, if this outline and what I've read so far seems a little bit too simplistic for you, um, that's fair. The first three verses are simply David telling what happened, right? It's like the news story, right? Here's what happened, okay? It's not a prescriptive formula. Uh, however, what David does in this psalm, which is fascinating, is that in verses 4 through 10, he uses a, a literary structure called a parallelism to let us see what's going on behind each of the three verses that we just read. Um, so in other words, there's a parallel for each one of them. The parallel for verse 1 is in verses 4 through 5, which I'm going to show on the screen together. Or actually, Rachel's going to. I'm going to read them together. Verse 1 what happened was I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and he heard my cry. David's commentary is, Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. O oh Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. Waiting on God, in verse 1, is never simple or easy. It requires that we trust. We trust God. And verse 4 highlights that while, you know, when waiting, the battle that's going on is whether or not we will trust the Lord, even when we're asking the how long questions, or if we will look instead to God's enemies for help. God's enemies certainly include the evil one himself, but more commonly, I think the enemies that we wrestle with are the powers and idols of this world, which are, of course are dictated by the evil one himself. Uh, and those powers and idols in the world offer deceptively attractive ways to move things along on our own terms. This is what makes waiting and trusting hard. It helps, of course, to be in community with other Christians, and I encourage you to do that if you're not in our home groups or other means. Uh, and that community helps us discern, is this help that I'm seeing offered, is that from God or is that something else? Is that something that maybe I ought to steer away from? Is it a temptation to put my, help, my, my trust elsewhere? Verse 5 then highlights that when waiting, it helps to remember the past. We can trust God's goodness. It helps to recall the wonders you have seen, including how he has previously made good come from bad situations. Remember the past and imagine the good future plans he has for us. He truly, truly wants to bless us. Meditate on that fact and how that might play out. That's what David was doing here. The next parallel uh, for verse 2 is in verses 6 through 8. I will read those together. And this one's going to seem odd to you at first. Uh, verse 2, he says, the, what happened? He lifted me up out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. David's commentary, 
You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, look, I have come, as it is written about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. So as I suggested, verses 6 through 8 at first seem, especially when you read the whole psalm, they seem like a random thought in the psalm. It's like, where does this come from, David? Um, and they seem unrelated to verse 2. Um, but the insight David's offering here is only clear when we remember that verse 2 only describes what God did for David. David did nothing. He received unmerited favor from God. In verse 6, he's saying there was nothing he did or could have done to earn God's help. Your audience participation has been so good that I'm going to ask you to be a little more vulnerable now. How many of us try to barter with God? A lot of you are lying, or you're just shy. (laughs) God, if you'll just do that thing I want, then I'll do this thing I know you want. Or we're tempted to act like we can do something that will force God's hand. God, I gave that up for you, so why do you keep me waiting? And David, you know, we have the benefit of looking back on Christ. David worshipped God under the Mosaic law and a sacrificial system, which I submit would make this an incredibly tempting line of thought. What's amazing, then, about these verses is that despite being under the law, David, as a man after God's own heart, realized a thousand years before Jesus that God doesn't want anything I can do for him. He just wants me. In verses 7 and 8, David recounts offering his life to God, and I hope that is something that everyone here has done. Uh, If not, please talk to somebody about it here. Okay, last, the parallel for verse 3 is in verses 9 to 10, and this one's pretty clear. Verse 3, David recounts, He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. His commentary, in verse 9, I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. So the parallel here is pretty clear, right? David expounds on this new song that God gave him to sing. At its core, it's the good news of the gospel foreshadowed a thousand years before Christ. Salvation came to David from God's unfailing love and faithfulness. It was a gift. And whatever the specific situation was, God restored justice as well. David is compelled to tell others. And as we've already seen, telling others about what God has done helps others in their own waiting and trusting. That's why we need community to talk about this. Uh, When when God rescues us and, and when God helps us through unpleasant and uncertain change, we need to talk about it, and both for our own good and for the good of others in our lives. So if you're like me, Uh, and wrestling through change and trials, uh, it might be helpful that we summarize David's example for us. First, we can cry out to God. Be honest. God can handle it. Look at this sampling of how long questions from the Psalms. My guess is that you'll be able to relate to more than one. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? 
Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with, my angu- with anguish in my soul? How long, O oh Lord, will you look on and do nothing? O oh Lord, how long will you be angry with us? How long will you hand down unjust decisions? O oh Lord, how long will this go on? How long will you delay? How long must I wait? As we cry out to God, we can wait patiently, trusting in the Lord rather than other gods, while recounting his goodness. We can anticipate receiving the unmerited help God offers, and in the meantime, we offer ourselves to God. Last, we can praise God for what he's done and tell others about it. The last part of David's example in this uh, Psalm 40 is then in verses uh, 11 to 17, where he cries out to God again with a prayer of, of lament because he again needs God's help. Change is inevitable. Our need for God's help is perpetual. I'd like to create some space for us this morning uh, to cry out to God. Um, so we're going to pray through David's, uh, David's prayer here in verses 11 through 17 together um, before we worship and before we celebrate our communion uh, with God through Christ. Here's how it's going to work, a little bit different. Um, so I'm going to read a part of David's prayer, and then I'm going to let you, uh, where you're seated, softly if you want, or silently praying by yourself. Uh, we'll do that through the first two parts of his prayer, and then for the third part, uh, I'll instruct us, we'll all stand together and, and read it together, okay? After we finish the prayer, Kendall and the band's going to come up and lead us in some more worship songs, and there will be uh, servers offering the bread and juice of the Lord's table uh, to remind us that God's unmerited help is available to us through Christ. All are welcome to share in the fellowship and goodness that God offers. Um, if you would like someone to pray with you, uh, there will be some leaders back in the back corner who would love to pray with you, okay? Um, if it's possible, you can dim the lights a little bit even more, if, but if not, we're fine here. So, so first part of the psalm, feel free to make space, whatever you need to do. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. That will stay up on the screen as you pray. I might suggest to just tell God what's on your mind. Tell him what troubles you. Tell him what worries you. Confess your sins. Ask your how long questions. And then call on his mercy, love, and faithfulness. You can dim the light on me too. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame, for they said, Aha, we've got him now. Call for God's rescue or help in your need. I encourage you to use your imagination to envision what it would look like for God to be glorified and for God's enemies to be shamed in your situation. Let's read the last part of the prayer together. God may you be pleased with our prayer. But may all who search for you 
be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great! As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in His thoughts. You are my helper and you're my Savior. O oh my God, do not delay. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.